Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million families building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. That's greenlight.com slash odyssey. Coming up. The way you lived changed after March 18th of 1964. I, I hope that this brings some type of closure for your family. I really do. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In Pennsylvania, a case is closed after 57 years, and a 20-year-old college student was on the team of investigators cracking this one. After nearly six decades, there's finally justice for Maurice Chivarella. Troopers say it is the oldest case in state history to be solved through DNA evidence, and one of the oldest in the country. The nine-year-old from Hazleton was raped and murdered on March 18, 1964. Now that we know the individual, it, it, it gives us a sense of closure. Not full closure, we'll never have that. But a sense of closure that we know the individual that did it. It, 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 and that the individual isn't out committing the same crime and hurting other young girls like Maurice. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash odyssey. I'm joined by Amanda Eustace, a reporter at WNEP in Pennsylvania. Amanda, thanks for being here with us. We appreciate it. Of course. Thanks, Will. No problem. Let's go back to 1964, and there are so much happening just recently in this story. But let's start back then in March of 1964 and just the the brutal murder of a nine-year-old girl. Yeah, so— Basically, what we got and the gist of what police has been kind of sharing um, all these years when it happened and then all these years later was Marie Sanchevarella, she was walking to school um, March 18th, 1964, and she was kidnapped. She was nine years old. She was a girl out of Hazleton. Um, You know, she has four siblings. um, And from the way that her family described her, um, she was a shy girl. Um, so, so, you know, they, they didn't think that this was something that maybe would have happened to her because she was so shy. Um, but she was sweet as well. Um, she loved going to school. Her family was a big part of the church community and her family always said, you know, that, that maybe she wanted to become a nun when she got older, um, just because of how involved she was, uh, with church. But, you know, as, as we went on with the story a little bit, police, ended up saying, you know, we don't have much to go off of, right? Because there was nothing to go off of. I mean, hours later, her body was discovered. Um, and I'm, I'm just blown away even talking about this out loud because it, 
you, you cover the story and you get so involved in it. And then you sit back and you really listen to the facts once you kind of say them out loud a couple days later. And you're like, you can just, you can't just imagine something like this happening. Amanda, where was her body found? It was in a stripping line pit. Um, near Airport Road, which is basically by the little airport um, down in Hazleton. Um, and it was found there a couple hours after she was discovered missing. Um, and that's when police, you know, did their examination and they found out obviously she was kidnapped and that she was raped um, and that she was murdered. And I think an interesting part of this story was even all those years ago before DNA became a thing, police recognized how important it was to save her clothing and, and what she had on her. Um, and I think that was a big part of the case was because if they didn't have that clothing that was on her, that did have that bodily fluid stain, um, you know, from semen, um, then they might not have been able to, to end up cracking this case, you know, a couple decades later with DNA technology and profiling and, and genetic genealogy. 1964, this happens. Decades go by. There's really no breaks or leads. Yeah, no movement, no movement at all. I mean, they end up, you know, DNA profiling becomes a thing and they come up with that huge database. Um, And in 2007, they take that bodily fluid semen stain and they start to run it against the profiles, um, the DNA profiles that they have for everybody in the country. And they do this every day for months and months and months. And you know, they end up getting a little bit of a hit, but it's not a home run. I mean, there was a lot of back work that had to go involved in this. And it was every time they thought they they were able to get something, it turned up to not be anything. Um, and that was really hard for investigators. You know, that was a big thing that we all talked about was how did you guys kind of keep going? How did you keep going when you just kept hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. Despite those roadblocks, so you mentioned in 2007, DNA profile developed. Years later, there's a just a really interesting twist to this story. Uh, a young man is brought in to help police out. He's not a investigator. He's not a detective, but he knows a heck of a lot about genealogy, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He um, and the interesting story was he was brought on pro bono. I mean, he was the one who reached out to um, Pennsylvania State Police in Hazleton and said, hey, I saw this case. I want to be involved. I'll, you know, I'll volunteer my time. I'll, I'll do it basically, obviously, for free. Um, and he came on, I believe it was in 2019. And for the past couple of years, you know, they they worked to figure out who Maurice's killer was. And he said a lot of the time he ended up looking through birth certificates and, you know, family trees, confirmation records. I mean, anything he could get his hands on, he looked at to try to piece together kind of who did this. And they ended up finding a relative in New Jersey, I believe it was. And after talking and speaking with him, they were kind of able to figure out um, who, who in the family was related or knew of or, or had this similar genetic profile. Um, and this was, it was this man, James Paul Ford. And that young man's name who helped out, again, you don't hear of that happening, as far as I know, a lot where you know a civilian, a young college student, in this case, a junior in college was brought in to help. Eric Schubert, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty incredible. After, after we heard who he was in his story, I mean, 
all of us, the, all of the media was just immediately jumping on him. Where did he come from? Why was he involved? Where did his interests come from? Um, and it was interesting to hear that when he was 11 years old, um, you know, he was, he said he was sick from homeschool a lot and he just found that this niche, um, of genetic genealogy and, and DNA profiling and, it was something that he said, you know, I could kind of see myself doing, you know, he liked being able to answer the tough questions. And I think it was just really cool because it kind of provided um, an outlet for, you know, so many kids, I think, you know, that may be going to school right now and say like, I don't know what I want to do. And this kid was like, I, I've known since I was 11 and he's still going to school. And I think we asked his major and he said something along the lines of history, um, which kind of fits in with whatever he's looking to do. Um, and the main question we all had was, you know, are you going to keep doing this? Um, and his response was, if I can continue to help families um, like the Shivarellas get justice and answer their questions that they've had for so long, you know, I think this is a pretty good career path for me. I was homesick a lot when I was a kid, so I would see <laughs> genealogy commercials and I would say, wait a second, maybe I could do that. Uh, and I thought it would be a two-week thing and here I am, but I'm certainly mm -hmm. thankful I started I'll never forget when Corporal Barron was telling me that we had just gotten that match, uh, because in that moment, I knew that we were going to find the assailant. So after decades of investigation and then several years where this young man, Eric Schubert, comes along and helps out investigators going through family trees, looking for that genetic match, they actually finally get one. Tell us who they identified. Yeah, so they ended up um, identifying James Paul Ford, um, and police say he was about 22 years old when he committed the crime. Um, he ended up dying in 1980 um, from natural causes. Um, they believe maybe potentially a heart attack, but they're not exactly sure. Um, and he actually, I believe, worked up the street, police said, at um, Giannetti's, and it it was one of those things that you hear that and and kind of everybody in the audience was was taken back because you know back back in the day everybody knew everybody you would walk by somebody you'd wave you'd say hello or good morning um and and you know the fact that somebody like this was in your neighborhood and around you the entire time um that this was going on and the investigation was going on was pretty nuts um and as police did their investigation, they actually realized that um, Fort was, I believe he was arrested and charged um, and only served one year of probation for assault of a woman in 1974. So just 10 years after the murder of Maurice. Um, and, and it's just, it's heartbreaking to hear that because you know, police said that that woman said that encounter and, and they interviewed her was very violent and could have almost ended in a similar situation like Maurice not being able to be here today, maybe to share her experience. But in the end, police have confirmed that they they have identified the killer of this nine year old girl back in 1964. He died in 1980. And my understanding is that they believe he could have committed other crimes. Yeah. Yeah, they, they identified James Paul Four as Marie Sanchevarell's killer um, from back in 1964. And yeah, he 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 seemingly had a rap sheet, police seemed to think. Um, you know, they there was that assault um of the woman in nineteen seventy-four, just ten years after Maurice's death. And police still think that there are many more 
victims um, um, or crimes that he had committed. Um, and they're asking people to still come forward if, if they recognize his face or hear from him. And, you know, the interesting part is we had a woman reach out to us and tell us that she believed she could have been a victim of one of those crimes. And we did a follow-up story with her the following day after we found out who Maurice's killer was. Um, and, and we spoke with her and she said, you know, we were, I was approached on the street with a friend and we were walking down the street and James Paul Fort pulled up and she goes, I remember his face. I remember that face all these years when I saw his face pop up on the news. You know, it, it terrified me because now I finally knew after all these years, like who the person was. So that just goes to show, I think police may be correct in that aspect where there might be some other people out there that have been put in a similar situation um, like Maurice and this other woman that we did speak with. We might hear more on this one. Amanda Eustace, reporter at WNEP in Pennsylvania. Thanks so much for talking to us. No problem. Thanks, Will. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. Be sure to check out our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles, available wherever you listen to podcasts. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.